Cool. Before I start, I will just uh, have a scripture reading, and this is from Galatians 3. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Okay, cool. Yeah, I just finished my exam two weeks ago, and Josh asked me to prepare a sermon. And there goes my Saturday. That I'm free. <laughs> no, it was good. It was a really good time. Yeah. So I've been I've been uh, spending a lot of time in the book of Genesis lately. I've been listening to the Bible Project, and they're going through the scroll of Genesis, or they did a year ago, and or at the beginning of this year. So I've been going through that and just meditating on that. And uh, one theme that has really stood out to me is uh, the theme of blessing. And more specifically, like the blessing, the idea of being a blessing to the nations. Um, and especially coming out of this series of loving your neighbor, I think this is, yeah, we're, we're finished with that series, but I think this is like a really good, I don't know, it ties into that and being a blessing to the nations. Um, yeah, so that's, that's what this sermon's going to be about. So we'll, there's going to be a lot of scripture. Um, uh, I know I'm short on time, so we'll see how God leads that. But um, uh, yeah, cool. So we'll be we'll be in Genesis one to three, uh, exploring the story of Adam and Eve, and then we'll move to Abraham, and then I'll talk about the storyline of the Bible, and then we'll come back to Galatians. Uh, cool. So that's the plan. Uh, okay. So the word blessing uh, appears more than 400 times in the Hebrew Bible. So that's the old. Testament and most of the yeah so most of its occurrences are in the book of Genesis and then the second most being the book of Psalms and then thirdly it's Deuteronomy and fun fact Genesis and Deuteronomy are the first and last books of the Torah so the first five books so it sort of forms a bookend and they have the most uses of the word blessing so just just a cool thing I'll nerd out a lot on Bible too so bear with me uh, and then yeah so I've I've been reading Genesis but I haven't got to De Deuteronomy so I don't have the full picture of the Torah but I will share what yeah just what I've been uh, seeing and what God uh, has given to me yep so we'll start off with Genesis 1 that's where we see the word blessing uh, to use in the creation story uh, starting in Genesis chapter 1, verses 20 and 23. So this is, what day is this? Uh, I don't remember. I think this is day 5, or day 3, actually. Anyways, so, And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to, their, to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. So, first appearance of the word blessing. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters. Three, three key words there. 
So fruit, multiplication, filling. Genesis, and then moving on, Genesis uh, 1, verses 26 to 30. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so... So, for the humans, we have the same thing. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, but there's an extra one. Subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and over every living thing. So there's an extra component that, that, that we are given. So God blesses the creatures, God blesses humans, and God breathes into the lives of the animals, and he breathes into humans too. So we have those in similarity. But this is the difference, rule over all the creatures. And this is the Im because we are the image of God. So this blessing that we have involves stewarding the blessing that God has given to the creatures, because they're called to be fruitful and multiply. But we are called to have dominion over them, so we are overseers of the blessing given to the creation. So that's an extra component there. And then lastly, there's a third time the word blessing appears in the story, and this is in Genesis 2, uh, verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because in it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. That's interesting. So he blesses the animals. He blesses humans, and he blesses a day. And if you notice, after every day that God creates, we have the ending, and it was, and there was morning, and there was evening. But the seventh day, we don't see that phrase. This is a day that never ends. So the seventh day, the Sabbath, is similar to the blessing to the humans and animals of procreation, bringing life. The Sabbath has the ability to give us life. And if you know me, you know how passionate I am about the Sabbath, so this is my shameless plug for the Sabbath, which hopefully I'll get to preach about one day. But yeah, so that's just really cool. Like perpetual, like this is the goal of creation, is perpetual abundance and rest, the seventh day. So God is overflowing and he wants to give abundantly to his creatures, like that is his heart. But when Adam and Eve eat from the fruit that th or from the tree that they are forbidden to eat, they're basically trying to gain this blessing, but by their own means. Like God, when we go, just going back to uh, the verses uh, in Genesis 1, 26 to 30, when God created man in his own image, he says, 
Behold, I give you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit. Like, God has given them everything. They've, they have abundance. They have abundance, and they can bring abundance with what they have. But they eat from the one tree God forbid them to eat. They're grasping, they're taking this blessing, but by their own means. They fail to trust in God and His goodness, and take what is good in their sight. Here in Genesis 3, we now see the opposite of blessing. The word curse makes its appearance. So, two instances of the word curse in Genesis 3. Uh, Genesis 3, 14 to 15, God curses the serpent. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So that's the first time we see the word curse, and God curses the serpent. Next, God curses the ground in verses 17 to 19. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. So, because of what the humans have done, they have failed to bless creation. They have, they have introduced curse. The ground is now cursed. Instead of the abundant fruit, we have thistles and thorns. Instead of rest and abundance, we now have striving and toil. It's interesting that God does not curse the humans, but they still bear the consequences of their sin and are exiled from the garden. Every generation after them, as we read in, in the book of Genesis and the story of Israel, every generation is faced with the choice of relying on God for his blessing or taking it by their own volition. However, as God promised, there is one to come who will reverse the curse. As the story unfolds, we see failure. Cain kills his brother, Lamech is eager to kill, in Genesis 6, 5. And yeah, the Lord saw that wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. But there is one man, Noah, who is blameless. When Noah is born, we have these words from his dad, Genesis 5, 29. Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from, our, from the painful toil of our hands. The word Noah means rest. They're hoping for rest. So we're hopeful that Noah will bring the blessing that, that God has asked humanity to bring. But alas, after the flood, we see a drunk Noah exposed in his nakedness. Ten generations from Noah, God chooses Abraham and Sarah. The new Adam and Eve called to be a blessing to all creation. So we're gonna read Genesis 12 and 13. So it's gonna be a lot of reading. Um, and I would just, yeah, if you have your Bibles open, I'm gonna highlight a few words. If you wanna annotate, that would be great. And then we'll come back to them. Okay, so starting in Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is a blessing to Abraham. He, God will bless him, whoever blesses Abraham will be blessed. And whoever curses him will be cursed. And then we have Abraham leaving, uh, leaving as, and obeying God. And I'm going to read this, even though it might not seem very interesting, but we'll, we'll come back to it. Okay. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the Oak of Moray. So if, you're, if you have a pencil, you can underline that, Oak of Moray. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. So Bethel is the next word to highlight. With Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. That's your third word. Negev. Now, there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt, number four, to, to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. And then I'll just skip this part. So, so Abram and Lot separate, and then we'll skip down to verse 14. Um, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, and eastward and westward. For all, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, another keyword, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So, so we have God giving Abraham this blessing, and then 
asking him, and then Abraham leaves and obeys God and goes to the oaks of Moreh. The word Moreh means to see, and we have, oh, watch this. So when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram. In Hebrew, the Lord became seeable. So at the oaks of seeing, the Lord became seeable. So Abram has an encounter with God. He sees God, and he builds an altar. He builds an altar there. And this is, this is significant. This is a place where he is meeting God. And the, fir and the first place we have in the Bible where God met with humans was the Garden of Eden. Again, a place full of trees. This is significant when we see a tree. So he has this encounter with God. God has blessed him. He has met God in person. He builds an altar. And then he goes to Bethel. So that's our second place. Can we have our picture up? Okay, cool. This is called a chiasm. It's there in the Bible everywhere. And it's really cool when I find one. I get excited. So we can see we have the Oaks of Moreh and then Bethel, Negev. Oh, sorry, that's the Hebrew word, Negev. It's Negev in your Bible, I think. Egypt, Negev, Bethel, Oaks of Mamre. So that's, that's what happens in Genesis 12 and 13. And whatever is in the center is usually the key point. So whenever you see this kind of sandwich, the authors are trying to emphasize what is in the center. So at the Oaks of Moreh, Abraham meets with God. He builds an altar. He has, this, he has this powerful moment. And then he goes to Bethel, pitches a tent there, and builds an altar there again. And then he comes to Negev, and then he goes to Egypt. This is the first time Abraham is encountering a different nation. This is a time for him to bless the nation. But what does he do? He fails. He lies to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is, and God brings plagues to Pharaoh. Pharaoh receives a curse instead of blessing. So it's really interesting that he meets with God. God has given him this blessing. And another thing that that's a whole other thing that I'll just mention briefly. Whenever you see trees in the Old Testament, they're also a place of testing. So when we read Oaks of Moray. And we come to Egypt. This is a moment of testing for Abraham. Another moment is when he he takes Isaac to the yeah, and he's gonna uh, when God asks him to sacrifice Isaac. That happens at a bush. So again, time of testing. And Abraham fails. He fails to bless the nation. So this just coming out from our series on loving God and loving neighbor. It's very interesting. He has a moment with God. Like he has this like he sees God in person and he fails to love his neighbor. Maybe when he goes to the Oaks of Mamre and he meets with God there, or he builds his altar there, maybe that's his restoration from what he did. But he does that again. He lies again and brings curse to the nation. So this is one example where Abraham fails to, br to bring blessing to the nations. But in chapter 14, we have a story where Abraham succeeds in bringing blessing to the nations. So again, a, a weird story. We usually just even just skim through these things. Um, so chapter 14 starts. There's a few kings who are going to war. So, the, so Amr fell, the king of Shinar. Shinar is Babylon. Him and five other kings are making war against a few other kings. So there's war happening in this Canaanite country. And Lot is captured. But where is Abraham? So Genesis 14, 13. 
Then one who had escaped came and told Abraham, the Hebrew, who is living by the oaks of Mamre. So he's still at the oaks of Mamre. The Amorite, brother of Eshkol and Aner. These were, oh, sorry. These were alleys of Abraham. Sorry, my Bible doesn't have verses, so I don't have this marked. That's what I'm reading from the screen. So, yeah, so we see these nations having war, and they're, but Abraham is at the oaks of Mamre. He's actually hanging out there with a bunch of Canaanites. So we're told that the Oaks of Mamre are, uh, are owned by the Amorite, brother of Eshkol and Aner. These were alleys of Abram. So these are Canaanites. Amorites were part of the Canaanites. And they made an alliance with Abraham. And they are also not at war. They're at peace with Abram, hanging out by the Oaks of Mamre, while the other nations are at war. So here we see those who have allied with Abraham are receiving his blessing of peace. And it's cool that chapter 14 ends with a blessing to Abraham by Melchizedek. So, check, so chapters 12 to 14 start with a blessing, God blesses Abraham. And then in the end of chapter 14, uh, Melchizedek blesses Abraham. So really cool. In chapter 15, God promises an heir to Abraham and makes a covenant with Abraham. Also, really cool chapter, but don't have time to go into that. <laughs> Abraham believed, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Great, things are looking good. But then chapter 16 happens. Abraham and Sarah try to make this blessing happen by getting Abraham to sleep with Hagar. So in chapter 15, God has promised Abraham that he will multiply his offspring and in chapter 16, they try to do that. Abram and Sarah try to make that happen. So they're making the blessing happen by their own, yeah, just by their own flesh. And Ishmael is born, but he is not the son of the promise. However, it's really cool because God blesses the one who is not chosen as well. This is Genesis 17, verses 20, 22. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and he will and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So God God blesses Ishmael. Like Ishmael is still blessed, even though he's not the chosen one, which is which is a cool cool fact there. Um Okay, and then there were other things that I saw that I wanted to share, but sadly, we don't have time. I saved them as an appendix, but they're really cool. Just random stories that were exciting to me. So, now our eyes are on Isaac, the conduit of God's blessing to the nation, and from whom we hope that the snake crusher will be born. From Isaac, we have Jacob and Esau. Again, Jacob and Esau's story, a lot of language about blessing, and I can get into that again. So exciting. So Jacob steals, steals Esau's birthright, and he steals blessing from Isaac. Yeah, I was reading that, and I really don't like Jacob's character. Like, he was a deceiver. I was like, this is, this is crazy. But God meets with him, and wrestles with him, and gives him a blessing, and makes him Israel. So we have the 12 tribes of Israel from Jacob. They multiply and are fruitful. God makes his covenant with Israel to be their God and for him, for them to be his people, to make them his representatives, to bless the nations through them. Israel breaks the covenant multiple times. 
and, and the hold of the curse continues. Finally, they are exiled and oppressed. We have the prophets who continue to point to the one who will break the curse, the one who will curse the snake's head. After years, finally, the Messiah comes. Jesus fulfills the law that Israel could not, and as a new Adam, he reverses the curse. He teaches his followers to bless those who curse them, and he also reverses the curse physically by healing. He invites his followers to follow him and become like him, to become conduits of his blessing. And now let's turn to Galatians. Quick background on the letter of Galatians. So Paul is writing this letter to address a specific issue in the church. So because Gentiles are now part of the Jesus community, some of the Jews believed that they had to be circumcised and start following the Torah for them to actually be Jesus followers. And Paul is really against that. And so that's, that's a whole letter of Galatians where he's addressing this. So starting in Galatians 7. Know then... Chapter 3? Yes, seven. sorry. Chapter 7. Oh, chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 7 to 14. Know this. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. The scriptures preached the gospel to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Let that sink in. Scriptures preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of law and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Because of what Christ did, because of Christ bearing the curse and reversing the curse, the Gentiles are now part of Abraham. We are in Abraham's family. We are as Abraham's offspring because of Christ being the offspring. We are co-heirs with Christ and as offspring of Abraham, we are now called to bless the nations. We are called to bring the blessing to the nations. If we just continue down in Galatians, jump down to verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. Sorry, heirs according to the promise. So again, being Abraham's offspring, we are bearers of the blessing to the nations. And how, how do we do that? How do we bless the nations? And Paul goes on to address that. 
further in Galatians 5. So he talks more about the law and believing in Christ and how we are freed from the law. And this is what he says in verse, this is Galatians 5, verse 13 onwards. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit. This is our answer. Being in step with the Spirit. Where is the Spirit moving in the nations? And how, yeah, just walking by the Spirit. This is the answer. I'm not going to elaborate. But I will continue to read. Because <laughs> Paul's just, he's preaching here. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. It's cool in Galatians, uh, I think it's in chapter 4, where Paul talks about the covenant to Abraham, and then he talks about the the law given to Israelites, and how because the promise came to Abraham first, and then the law comes later, and that now that we believe in Christ, the law, we don't, we don't have the law anymore, or we are not under the hold of the law, but the promise to Abraham still remains. That's what he talks about in Galatians 4, so if you're interested, you can read, read a little bit of that, um, which is all really cool. Uh, yeah. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do, do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. It's, it's interesting that I just want to tie this back to the blessing given to Adam and Eve about being fruitful, multiplying, and filling the earth. When there is abundance and fruit, there's, it's, it's a sign of peace too. Like if you're killing each other, you're not, you're not gonna multiply in that way, right? It's like life and death is, is the opposite. And a lot of the things that he talks about, the, the works of the flesh lead to death, just lead to death of relationships. We're not being fruitful. We're not experiencing abundance through these things. But the abundance comes from the fruit of the Spirit. Again, the word fruit. Going back to Genesis, the garden, the trees, the fruits. Fruit, this is key. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And this is, I think this, I don't know, there's just so much here to meditate on. I, I don't even have words to like talk, to speak more because... Yeah, I can't justify this, but 
I highly recommend <laughs> meditating on this. But this is how I think that we can bless the nations and, yeah, be a blessing to the nations as Abraham's offspring and co-heirs with Christ. That's all. How did I do with time?